Well, there's a difference between the real deal and an imitator. We talked about Lucille's, right? That, that is called imitation barbecue, okay? <laughs> that is like go to the frozen foods aisle to Stouffer's and pick up a, a brisket sandwich from Stouffer's. You might as well rather than go to Lucille's, okay? The, the real deal, is, go to Texas for the real deal. Kansas City people will tell you Kansas City has it. Tennesseans will tell you Tennessee has it. Memphis has it. You know, Louisville is deluded as well to think that they've got good barbecue. Texas is where real barbecue is at. That's where you want to go if you want good barbecue. And it will ruin Lucille's for you, and you will be a better person because of it at the end, okay? You can tell the difference. There's also the imitation and, and the real deal when it comes to ice cream. There's a, a, an ice cream that happens to also be from Texas called Bluebell ice cream, right? So Bluebell ice cream is not Blue Bunny ice cream. See, the, the crazies in the rest of the country have decided, well, we can have Bluebell ice cream too. We'll just call it Blue Bunny and we'll pass it off and we'll deceive poor, unsuspecting people into thinking that Blue Bunny is the same thing as Bluebell and they'll spend too much money on bad ice cream. Bluebell is where it's at. Bluebell is the real deal. Well, in the same way, there, there's a, a difference between genuine Christianity and an imposter version of Christianity, an imitation version of Christianity. And that's what the parable that we're looking at, and this is our last parable of our parables series. This is what this parable is talking about. It's talking about the difference between the genuine article when it comes to Christianity and what it looks like to follow Jesus and the imitation, the imposters of what it looks like of people who may say, I'm a Christian, but they're not actually following Jesus. Matthew chapter 13. Grab your Bibles, your devices, whatever you have. Make your way to Matthew chapter 13. As we get there, Matthew is recording something that Jesus is about to, to do, which is he's recording the beginning of Jesus' teaching in parables. And we're circling back to this one, the, the first of Jesus' parables is our final one in this series. But Jesus is coming off of a pretty busy day at this point. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 1, it says, that same day Jesus went out of the house. That same day looks all the way back to chapter 12 and the events of chapter 12 as well. Back in chapter 12, verse 1, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on a Sabbath. And there his disciples are picking grain and he's confronted by the Pharisees who are saying, that's not right, you're breaking the, the law. And then later on, he heals a man with a withered hand also on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are saying, you can't heal somebody on the Sabbath. That's breaking the law. You can't do work on the Sabbath. And to heal somebody on the Sabbath is not okay. And then later, Jesus withdraws from there and a, a bunch of people follow him and he's healing even more people. And then another demon-possessed man comes to him in verse 22 of chapter 12. And then in verse 33, he's talking about the good tree and the bad tree of chapter 12. And then he keeps going and going and going. And all that to say, this is the end of a very long day for Jesus already. And he begins to sit down and he begins to teach the people, teach all the crowds that have come to him. And he begins to teach them using parables. And as we've been talking about in this series, a parable is a story with a point, right? A story with a moral. It's communicating something. And like I said at the beginning, this parable that we're looking at tonight is communicating what does authentic, what does real, what does genuine Christianity look like, and what are some of the imposters that are out there? Chapter 13, verse 1 says, That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat down beside the sea. 
And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. So these are masses of people so that Jesus has to get into a boat and push back from the beach to be able to address everybody who's there. Jesus, guys, when he was doing his earthly ministry, this is something that we can lose sight of because we think of his rejection and we think of the cross. But when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, Jesus was famous. Like Jesus went into a town and people, there was a buzz. People were, were, were excited. They wanted to see this guy. Not only the people that were sick and lame, but the people that were just curious about this. They were coming out there to find out what Jesus was going to do next. In fact, even in John chapter 6, our most recent daily Bible reading uh, section, after Jesus uh, feeds the 5,000 and then the masses begin to flock to him and he calls them out for it, right? He says, you're not coming here for good reasons. The only reason you're interested in coming to me is because you want to see me do another miracle. And so even here, we've got masses of people that are gathering. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus was teaching in parables, is he wanted to go after the people, as he says in the parable, who had ears to hear. The people who were genuinely interested in following Jesus and being true followers of Christ. And so he's teaching them in parables as he teaches. And so it says, the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, this is the beginning of the parable we're looking at tonight. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then Jesus goes in and talks about the purpose of parables. And then he gets back to the parable of the sower again in verse 18. And he explains it for his disciples. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, this is verse 19. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. And so this is one of the rare parables that we have Jesus not only tell the parable, but explain the parable for us. And again, what he's doing here is he's showing his followers, he's showing his disciples, and everyone else within earshot, this is what following me really looks like. This is what being a true follower of Jesus actually looks like in the face of some of the imposters out there. And he holds out the imposters as these different types of ground. Now in the parable, what does the, the ground represent? It represents the person's H-E-A-R-T, right? Heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, right? The, the, the ground is the person's heart. It's the receptivity to the word of the kingdom. What is the word of the kingdom? What do you guys think that is? Don't get hung up on of the kingdom in this context, Okay. Because Matthew was focused on Jesus as the king of the Jews. And that's why Matthew attaches of the kingdom here. But what was Jesus preaching when Jesus went out and, and preached to the towns and the, the cities? What was he preaching? Repent, right? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's the same message the disciples went out with. So when we read that the word was sown and the word was the kingdom of God, as he says, what we're understanding there, the, the word of the kingdom, is this is the gospel. 
This is the message of what saves people. This is what you and I hopefully have come to understand about Jesus, that we are sinners, that we have fallen short of the glory of God, that there's this chasm, we just talked about it, sang about it in that song, an infinite chasm between us and God that we can't bridge, we can't overcome, we can't be good enough to get by. And yet God sent Christ for us to die on the cross for our sins, to bridge that gap, to allow us then access to the Father as he draws us to himself by forgiving our sins. And so, yes, you might say, well, the cross hasn't happened yet. yet, But at the same time, the message is Jesus is saying, come and follow me. Come and follow me because in following me, you will find eternal life. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. He who comes to me will never thirst. Jesus was beckoning people just like he's beckoned us now on the backside of the cross. Come to me. Come and follow me. And now Jesus is telling this parable and he's saying there's four responses to the word of the gospel, to the word of the kingdom. And the first one that he talks about there, he lists there for us, and it's the problem of the the heart that just totally rejects God. And this is the seed that's sown upon the path. He says this, he says in verse 20, or sorry, back, back up verse 19. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That's pictured by the birds coming and picking up the seed from the rocky ground. This is what was sown along the path. This first response to the gospel is just all out rejection. This is the person that says, you know what? The gospel is not for me. God is not for me. Christianity is not for me. This could be your atheist or your Muslim. This could be your Hindu or your Buddhist. I mean, this is anyone who looks at God, looks at Christianity, looks at the gospel of Jesus Christ and says to us, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. Whether they're polite about it or hostile about it. When they hear the gospel, they have no interest whatsoever. Jesus is saying that's the the first response. And they're the ones, as soon as they hear it, there's not even an opportunity for that word to to take root in their hearts. The the birds come and swoop that seed off the path. If if you think of a path, a well-worn trail, if you were to throw seed on that trail, would it ever grow? Would would the roots ever be able to penetrate that that trail? No, they never would be able to. It's, It's too hard. It's too solid. It's too compact. The hardness of their heart refuses to hear the gospel. To them, it's what we talked about with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you were with us on the, uh, the retreat this past winter. And that is that, that to them, they hear the gospel, this idea that they're sinners, but that God sent Jesus to die for their sins. And their response is, man, that's foolishness. They think that it's ridiculous. They think that it's stupid. They think that it's insane to follow Jesus, to live as Christians are called to live and give up the pleasures of this world, to follow after a guy who lived 2,000 years ago, who they may or may not even believe existed, they look at that and they say, man, you're crazy to follow him. And the reason they do that is the hardness of their heart, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us, is due to the fact that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded their eyes. Satan has blinded their eyes so that they can't see. They can't see the hope that's contained in the gospel. And so when they hear the word of the kingdom, when they hear that message, their response is, you know what, thanks but no thanks. That's not for me. That's the first response. I hope nobody in this room is there. Maybe you are, but maybe tonight is a night for that to change. And I want to encourage you as you go out and you share the gospel with people, as you share the gospel with somebody and their initial response is thanks, but no thanks. I don't want anything to do with it. Don't give up because that's not a, a, that's not a death blow to them being saved. That doesn't mean that later on God might not stir up their heart, cultivate, till the soil of their heart, so to speak, and make them receptive to the gospel at another time. It just means at that point in time, their response, they're falling into this rocky path person. Verse 5, 
he goes on to describe the second type of ground. He says, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. There's soil there, just not much soil. And immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Verse 20, Jesus explains this for us. He says, what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So this second ground, the second heart who's listening to the gospel, this is the person that wants now what the gospel promises later. This is the person that's buying into that idea of, well, I like the idea of forgiveness. I like the idea of heaven. I like the idea of having friends. I like the idea, maybe even I like the morals of Christianity. And, I, and so I want to be around the church. I want to be around people because it's good to be there. And you know what? If this is something that's going to benefit me, then, then great. I'll be around here. But see, they don't want everything that's entailed in being a follower of Jesus. They're only all in until it costs them something, and then they're not in at all. This is so much of contemporary cultural Christianity that we see all over the place. And it's less and less so as persecution ramps up in this country. Have you guys noticed that? That, that this idea of America as a Christian nation is beginning to dwindle? And there's a lot of people mourning that. And I'm not so sure I'm mourning that anymore because what I think it's doing is I think it's refining the true church. I think it's revealing those people that are bought into something that can't save. And so these are the, the people, the celebrities that love Jesus as long as it doesn't cost them. They're going to thank Jesus or thank God in their, their reception of their, their award at the, the Hollywood banquet. Sorry, Caitlin, I'm butchering whatever that award show is called, the Oscars, right? They're going to say, hey, you know what, thank God, I'm so, the, the man upstairs, whatever they say, or the guy who crosses the end zone carrying the football, and he points up to heaven. As long as it looks good for them, they're willing to be associated and identified with Christ, but as soon as it starts to cost them, or their reputation, or as soon as it starts to, to hurt them or no longer be a benefit to them, they're going to jump ship. But see, here's the thing. Jumping ship doesn't always look the same for these people. Sometimes jumping ship is not abandoning Christ and Christianity entirely. Sometimes for this group of people, abandoning ship is just all-out compromise. And we see that happening all over the place as well as we look around the world. As we look at what this world is trying to hold out and shove down our throats and say, you have to accept this, you have to believe this, you have to obey this, you have to like this, you have to approve of this. There are so many churches out there, so many believers, both individually and corporately, who are saying, yes, I know what God's word says. And then there's a three-letter word that comes after that. And what is it? But. I know what God's word says, but we need to update it. We need to make it more progressive. We need to catch up to our modern culture. This was a, a narrow-minded patriarchal culture, and, and we need to update God's word for him because he's not big enough or good enough or wise enough or omniscient enough to have made a, a, a book for us that transcends all time and culture. But yet that's exactly what he's done. And so sometimes when we butt up against this idea of, man, the, the culture doesn't like me and it's going to cost me to remain uh, faithful to the Lord, we're, we're quick to jump ship and go, well, well I don't really believe all those things that those narrow-minded Christians believe. I'm not a legalist. I'm not a Bible thumper. And we begin to apologize for the authority and the inspiration of God's word. And we begin to compromise, and we begin to backpedal, and we begin to softpedal. And what we end up doing is we end up holding out a gospel that can never save anyone. Because it's a gospel that does not submit itself to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
this type of soil wants all the benefits of salvation without any of the cost that comes with following Christ, without any of the persecution that even he talked about. This person wants the realities of the new heavens and the new earth here on this old, fallen, broken earth. The gospel that these people have bought into or believed in isn't really the full gospel. It's a truncated gospel. It's a partial gospel. And when all is said and done, that's just not going to cut it. First point tonight is this. Believe in the full gospel. Believe in the full gospel. We do this with, with my kids, and I'm sure your parents have done it with you and maybe still do it with you if you go over to dinner at their house or anything like that or they take you out to eat. Sometimes my kids want dessert, and that's all they want, right? And so they'll pull the, well, I'm not really hungry thing, I'm, or I'm full, right? That's our favorite. I'm full, and they've eaten like three bites. And then as soon as we clean up dinner, it's like, hey, do we have any snacks? Are there any desserts? I saw some ice cream in the freezer. Can I just have that? That seems like a better dinner. See, see this type of Christianity that we're talking about with the thorny soil, they, they want dessert for dinner 24-7. And you know the outcome of that. That's not going to go well, right? You're, you're not just for you as a, a dentist, but you're going to end up obese with diabetes and everything else, and your life is going to be cut short. It's not good for you. It's not healthy for you. And that's why your parents say, no, you, you need to eat your dinner. And then we're going to even moderate dessert, moderate those other things. See, to follow after Christ, to believe in the full gospel, is to listen to Jesus say things like this. If anyone wishes to follow after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. That means I've got to daily die to myself. My agenda, my plans, my will, my desires, my goals, my ambitions, what I think will make me happy, what will bring me pleasure. God is saying, you want to follow Jesus? Die to those things. Put those things to death. And follow him. What does that mean? That we have to wear sackcloth and ashes and beat ourselves and be monks and be ascetics and everything else like that? No, that's not what that means. But that means that everything that we pursue, we need to think, how is this being obedient to Christ as I'm pursuing this thing? Hey, I want this thing because it's going to make me happy. Okay, how does that honor the Lord? How are you glorifying God in that? To believe in the full gospel is also to believe in what Jesus said here when he says, if anyone wishes to find his life, he must what? Lose it. Lose it. If anyone wishes to find his life, he must lose it. Again, it's, it's not about us. It's not about making a name for ourselves. It's not about our ambitions, our agenda, our dreams. It's about the Lord. It's about losing all those things and saying, God, I want what you want from me. Believing the full gospel is also hearing Jesus say this, if anyone does not hate their father and mother, they're not worthy of being my disciple. Has that caused any of y'all problems to read that verse in the past and sit there and go, what is Jesus talking about? Because doesn't God tell me to honor my mom and dad? What Jesus is talking about there is he's saying this, it's, it's a matter of devotion. He's saying, look, you should be so devoted to me above and beyond every other relationship that even your closest relationships, because maybe some of you are out there tonight thinking, well, it's easy for me to hate my mom and dad. That's not a a problem for me. Jesus is saying even your closest relationships, your devotion to Christ should make your relationship with anyone else look like hatred. In fact, it should be such that No other earthly relationship can ever come between you and following Jesus. 
That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the the full gospel. If anyone wants to believe the full gospel, they're going to have to hear Jesus say this. Whoever wishes to be greatest among you must become your servant. In fact, he says must be the servant of all. And he holds out his own paradigm for that, right? He says, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, these are the statements that call us to radical obedience to Christ, to a radical discipleship. And these are the statements that rub against our, our creaturely comforts and make us go, man, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm all in on that. And these are the things that can cause those in the, thorny, or in the, the rocky soil to bail because they look at it and they go, you know what, it's, it's just not, Worth it for me. Living counterculturally, saying no when the world says why not. Delaying gratification. Being willing to to wear a label, to say, okay, you want to call me intolerant, narrow-minded, bigoted, whatever, call me that. I'm going to call myself biblical. I'm going to call myself a faithful follower of Jesus. We don't like to be hated, do we? Nobody in the room likes to be hated. But listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. John 15, 18 through 20, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. See, that's, that's not that easy believism gospel. That's not the live your best life now gospel. That's the second soil, the rocky ground. Verse 7, though, we get into the third one. He says, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. If the problem of the second ground there was wanting now what God has promised in the future, the, promise with this, the problem with this third ground is losing focus right now on what really matters. Losing focus right now on what really matters the cares of the world that he talks about here, it's, it's the word for anxiety. It's the things that, that grip our hearts, the things that cause us to be fearful, the things that cause us to lose sleep, to worry. Those are the things that he's talking about. He's saying that, that those things can choke out the word. These are the people who are, are so worldly minded that their, their faith is being starved. He says there, it's not just the, the, the cares of the world, but the deceitfulness of riches too. He connects there our anxieties, the things that we fear and the things that we covet. And he says that those two things, if, if those things consume us, that they can do irreparable damage to the word of God. There can be that initial semblance of life, just like there was with that second soil. But in this third soil, that initial semblance of life is choked out by those things. Think back to the story of Lot. You remember Lot's wife? Anybody remember her name? Lot's wife. Yeah, it's not listed, right? We don't know what Lot's wife was. Um, she was a salty person, though. Um, yeah, that was horrible. Genesis 19, Lot's wife. So you guys remember the story of Lot, right? Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abram went to go find him. And Abraham said to him, dude, you got to get out of here because it's going to be a fireworks show like none other. This is going to be shock and awe. It's not going to go well. Grab your family and leave. 
or the angels went to him and, and said that. And so Lot obeyed, and he, he got his family together, and they left. And what did the angels tell them on the way out? Don't look back. Don't look back. Keep going. Don't look back. And so Lot and his family leave, except what does Lot's wife do on the way out of town? She looks back, and what happens? She's turned into a pillar of salt. And people have tried to explain that and, and rationalize that. I'm like, guys, we're dealing with the God of the Bible, the God of miracles. She turned into a literal pillar of salt. Leave it at that. We don't need to rationalize it away. Okay? This is what happened. But why did she look back? She wanted it. She looked back. It's a longing within her heart that looked back at the world, looked back at all the sinfulness of Sodom and Gomorrah, looked back at all the wickedness and all the evil, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. That's Sodom and Gomorrah if there ever was any. And she's leaving that behind, being rescued from certain death. That should cause joy, right? That should cause rejoicing. That should cause thanksgiving to God. That should cause an attitude that says, okay, God, take me wherever you want me to go. And yet it says that Lot's wife looked back. This third type of ground is the people that are looking back. Jesus is saying, leave everything, deny yourself and follow me. And these are the people that are looking back over their shoulder and going, yeah, but I, I, I don't know if I can leave that behind. Or, but, but what if this happens, Jesus? What about this, this or that? And those things choke out the devotion to Christ. Jesus has called for us. God has called for us to be fully devoted to him. That, that devotion that makes our, our relationships with every other person look even like hatred. The full devotion to Christ, that full surrender to God. It's our second point tonight is this. You need to make sure you are all in. Make sure you're all in in following Christ. When y'all are saved, the, the gospel, it, it changes everything. It changes everything about our, our perspective, guys, about what we fear and what we need. You remember when Jesus said, don't fear those that can kill the body? That's a bold statement, right? I don't want to die. If I'm going through a dark alley, I, I don't want to meet somebody with a, a weapon that, that's going to kill me. That's scary. Jesus is saying, don't fear that. Why? Because of what he's offering us. Because of what following him secures for us, which is life after death, which is eternal life, which is a better life. He's saying, look, don't fear that because if they kill you, you're going to be in, in, in glory. You're going to be with God. You're going to be free from pain, sickness, sorrow, disease, anything else. So don't fear that because they can't touch the thing that really matters, and that's eternal life. See, being saved changes the things that we become worried about, that we become fearful about, that we become anxious about. Even to the point that Jesus says, even the thing that it's probably the scariest thing, that we would die. He says, don't even fear that. Because it can't touch your relationship with the Lord. You guys know the, the most famous verse in sports, right? Philippians 4.13. There was a Babylon Bee article recently that said these two private Christian school football teams were locked in a tie for the past decade because they had both prayed Philippians 4.13 before they went into the game. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Right? that's an example of how that verse is pulled out of context. And we, we, we like to throw that out there, whatever. Man, I've got a doctor's appointment and I gotta get a shot, but ah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the context that Paul wrote that in, listen, he says this, verse 11 of chapter four in Philippians, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned 
in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, that verse is talking about being completely devoted to following the Lord such that whatever he brings your way, you know you're okay because your contentment is in Christ so that you can learn the secret of being in plenty and the secret of being in need. And so some diagnostic questions as we think about, am I all in or not? This one, do you spend more time thinking about what you don't have or thanking God for what you do have? Do you spend more time looking back like Lot's wife at the world going, man, if I only had that, that would bring me happiness and joy and satisfaction and I'd be good. Whether that's a thing, an item, or maybe that's a person, you're thinking, man, if I only had a relationship like that, then then I would be great. Do you spend more energy worrying about life or praying to the God who owns your life? This is that idea of, of looking back like Lot's wife and going, yeah, but... My house is a mess. I didn't, I didn't clean up the, I didn't do the dishes when God's about to blow up the entire thing in one fell swoop. It doesn't make any sense to be worried about those things. So much of what we worry about and we focus on in our lives, they don't make sense and they're distracting us from following Jesus and that's his point about this third soil. It chokes out our relationship with the Lord. There's other things, just the distractions of life, the cares of the world. How about social media? This quote, don't tell Pastor Rod, I quoted John Piper. But this one, just squarely between the eyes, even for, as, for me, as I was reading it this week, it, I was just like, man, it's convicting. Piper says this, one of the greatest uses of social media will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. I'll read that again. One of the greatest uses of social media will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. When you're tempted to discouragement or even to look back like Lot's wife, remind yourself of the full gospel, of what's waiting for you. Remind yourself it's, it's worth it to be all in right now because of what the end is. No matter what it costs you right now, because you know the end is coming, and you know the end is Revelation 21. You know it's the new heavens and new earth. You know it's going to be living in a glorified body where you will no longer experience depression or fear or anxiety or worry or sickness or hurt anymore. Nobody's going to hurt your feelings ever again in the new heavens and the new earth. Not only that, but on top of all that, you're going to become face to face with Jesus Christ. You're going to see Jesus face to face. You are going to be made like him. Every, every doubt, every concern, every question that you ever had will find its answer there. And so it's worth it to be all in now because that's what's coming. C.S. Lewis put it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And that's this third soil. 
they hear the gospel. Maybe there's an initial response like that, that second soil. There's, there's signs of life there initially, but then th- that sign of life is choked out because they're far too easily pleased with looking back and longing for the things that they had, whether it's the deceitfulness of riches or those cares of the world. Finally, verse 8, other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and he bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and in another 30. There's problems with soil number one, soil number two, soil number three. This final soil, there's no problem here. This is the target of the sower. This is what he was after. He was after this rich, fertile, deep soil where the roots can take hold and where they can establish themselves to be able to withstand all the trials, all the temptations that this world is going to throw at it. See, the the seed that falls on this final soil as well, there still may, may be some weeds around of worry, of deceitfulness. There still be, may be some, some rocks somewhere in the soil there, but, but those things can't touch it because its depth is such that it can go down and take root so that it's not going to be moved. It's not going to be uprooted. It is secure. Y'all remember the, the parable of the two houses? The wise man built his house upon the rock, right? That song. Why? Why was that the wise choice? Because the foundation went deep. Because the foundation was going to hold up. Because the foundation was going to withstand. It's the same idea here with the, the rich soil, the good soil. When the gospel is heard, the heart of the person that's the good soil receives it and understands it and believes it. And they are all in. They've heard the full gospel and they've bought fully in to the gospel. And they've responded the way that the Lord wants them to. When you think about a fruit tree, what do you expect a fruit tree to do? You expect it to bear fruit, right? Nobody's going to come in complaining, man, that fruit tree that I've got in my backyard has too much fruit on it. In fact, nobody's going to look at a a fruit tree that's blown up with all this fruit and go, man, I wonder if that's a healthy fruit tree, right? They're going to look at that and be like, that is some crazy miracle grow that you put on that thing. They're going to be excited. They're going to be happy. They're going to have confidence that that fruit tree is doing well. Guys, it's the same thing with our relationship with Christ. You cannot bear too much fruit as a believer in Jesus Christ. And in fact, if you are going crazy bearing fruit, if you are multiplying your fruit, then people are going to look at you and be like, man, that person, that man, that woman is on fire for Christ. And you are going to walk around, you're going to go, man, I feel a confidence and a joy and a security about my relationship with Jesus. That's our final point tonight. It's this, go crazy bearing fruit. Probably the first time I've used the words go crazy in a point but I couldn't think of a better way to say it. Like if there's anything that you guys, I want you guys to just check ambition at the door, it's this. Bear fruit for Christ. Live submitted to Christ. Bear fruit, be obedient to him. Guys, this whole Christianity thing, it, it turns your life upside down. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation in Christ. The idea that you are born again from John chapter three, that changes everything. And that enables you to now all of a sudden be on fire and bear fruit like crazy. See, before Christ, you can't do that. Before Christ, you may have free will, but your free will is enslaved to sin so that nothing you do is going to please God before you're saved. You can't bear fruit as an unbeliever. But once you're saved, all that changes because you're born again. 
Because the old is gone, the new has come. And as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, walk therefore in newness of life. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So now I can go out and I can bear fruit. Now I can go out and I can live radically. And I can be obedient. And I can be loving and joyful and patient and peaceful and kind and good and self-controlled. I can go out and I can put off sin in my life and put it to death and no longer have it characterize who I am because I'm not enslaved to sin any longer. And so I want to ask you tonight, do you desire that? Do you desire that holiness, that Christ-likeness to just blow up bearing fruit? Is that what you want? Is Christianity for you more than an add-on? Is it more than just, I've always done this because mom and dad raised me in the church and so that's why I'm here tonight because I've never known anything else. If that's your trust and that's your confidence, that's a house of cards that will eventually collapse under you. Your relationship with Christ has to be, he's my everything. He's my everything. I have to have him above and beyond anything else. God, take anything else away from me, but give me Jesus. Does being a Christian fire you up to make you excited? Do you want to be known as a believer? I talk to so many people who struggle with their confidence in their relationship with Jesus. And guys, I think it comes back to the fact that we're not bearing enough fruit. I'm not saying that saves you. That doesn't save you. You can't be good enough to be saved. You can't do enough to be saved. I just finished telling you, you can't bear fruit as an unbeliever. But as a believer, if you want confidence in your relationship with Christ, the fastest way to get confident about your standing in Jesus is to start submitting your life entirely to the scriptures and to God's will for your life, to get into the word of God and to start putting the word of God to action in your life. That's going to give you confidence in your standing with Christ. Harboring unconfessed sin is going to tear your confidence out from under you. Neglecting the, the word of God is going to tear your confidence out from under you. It's going to leave you feeling like a hypocrite. It's going to leave you feeling like you don't belong. It's going to leave you wondering, do I really get it? It's going to leave you sitting here tonight going, I don't really know which soil I'm in. When you may be in the good soil, it's just that you're not going off and bearing fruit. Time in the word, time in prayer, relationships with other believers. I mean, guys, live that life that somebody's going to look at you and go, why are you such a freak? You're going to be able to say, I'm so happy that you asked me that question. I want to tell you why. I mean, live, guys, on fire for Christ. We're going through a name change, a rebranding, and I, like, I hope that's part of a, a spark and something to, to ignite us here. But I, I want us to, to get out of our comfort zones. I want us to be shaken up. I want us to get out there and start making friends with the people that intimidate us because they're not like us. I want us to get out there and start talking to the, the lost. I want us to go out there and sit down next to the person that is in a same-sex relationship and actually have a, a conversation with the person and try to share the gospel with the person. I want you to get out and get into the world and be on fire for Jesus because otherwise you're wasting your time. If you've got the good soil, make use of the good soil. To sow dead seed in good soil does no good for the farmer. 
God has put good seed in good soil. And so many of you in this room, my question is, what are you doing with it? I love our church for so many reasons. I do, but I, I feel like it's, it's also so easy to just be here and not be anywhere else. And that's what I'm sick and tired of. I want us to be a group that loves Jesus and loves the lost and goes and bears fruit and shares the gospel with them. This fruit bearing is, like I said earlier, yes, it's about sanctification, but it's also about evangelism. It's also going out and it's, it's replicating yourself as a believer in Christ. Going out and saying, I need to, to talk to you about Jesus Christ and the gospel. I think I've told you that, guys that before. Matt Chandler, he was an unbeliever. He went to a high school football practice and the big gigantic upperclassman next to him looked at him at the first day of practice and said, I need to sit down and tell you about Jesus at some point. You let me know when a good time for you is. And that worked with him. I'm not saying go do that, but I'm saying that worked with him. Do something. Share the gospel. Get after the lost. Let's blow this room up with people that don't fit the compass mold, can we? So that Christ can go after them. So that we can go after them. So that we can love them. So that we can be bearing fruit, some 100-fold, some 60-fold, some 30-fold. That's what I want, guys. So much from this group. And it, it doesn't mean that I need a new team of players. I've got everything I need right here in this room. You guys have everything that you need to be able to, to go out and turn Orange County upside down. Unless you say, well, that's a tall task. 12 guys led to first century Romans looking around going, man, this Jesus thing is turning the world upside down. I do want you to reflect tonight even during your small group and spend some time answering that question and thinking to yourself, what soil am I? Where am I in this? Have I responded? Have I responded in conviction and belief? For those of you who say, yeah, I'm, I'm there. I have responded. How's your, your pulse right now with your walk with Christ? Are you joyful in your relationship with Jesus? Are you excited about your relationship with Jesus? Are you confident in your relationship with Jesus? Do you want other people around you to have a relationship with Jesus the way that you have a relationship with Jesus? Guys, that's gonna be the most powerful thing for you as an evangelist is to go out and tell people about how awesome your walk with Christ is. If you could take or leave your Christianity, you're never gonna usher anyone else into the kingdom of God by sharing the gospel with them because they're gonna hear it in your voice. But man, if this is everything to you, if you are totally sold out and totally all abandoned and totally all in and say, man, it's, it's Jesus or nothing for me, they're gonna hear that too. And that's what we want. Let's pray together. God, we love the gospel. We love Jesus so much. God, make it more evident in our lives. Give each and every one of us in this room opportunities tonight or maybe tonight or this week at some point at least got to share the gospel not just one time but multiple times god let us live such radical lives that the lost look at us and they say what in the world is wrong with you and we can say let me tell you about what i'm all about about jesus but god don't just allow us to do that give us the boldness to sit down with somebody who doesn't ask us and say hey i love you and i care about you and i want to share the gospel with you 
to ask a simple question, to open up a door like, hey, do you believe in an afterlife? What do you think happens after we die? And then boom, get to the gospel as fast as you can from there. God, give us those opportunities. Lord, we would love to blow the doors off of this building with people who don't know Jesus as their savior right now. To come to see lost, saved. That, I'm, the, the, the longer and longer I'm here, God, the, the more and more I'm convinced that is the number one reason why we are still here on this earth. Because there's nothing else that we couldn't do better in glory with you except for to share the gospel with the lost and to see them come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Help us to prioritize that, God. To care about that. To do it. God, we want to go out and scatter seed for you. And we pray that so much of it, Lord, would find that good soil. In Christ's name, amen.